Today is Palm Sunday, and I want to read the the Palm Sunday passage in Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a great, a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will strengthen us with your word. And please give us your insight and understanding of how this passage and even this time period would rightly apply to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, before Jesus entered Jerusalem here on Palm Sunday. We don't know how long before, maybe a couple months. Could have been a year before. Jesus made this comment that I'm going to read to you in Luke chapter 13, verse 33. Listen to this. He said, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the following day. For it cannot be that a prophet should die outside of Jerusalem. Now, what does he mean by that? Is he saying that it's impossible for prophets to die outside of Jerusalem? And what does he mean by this? Well, he's being slightly sarcastic, but also he is also pointing out how bad and how evil Jerusalem is. Because Jerusalem has a long history of killing the prophets and killing the righteous messengers that God will send to them. So that's why Jesus says, a prophet cannot die outside of Jerusalem. I must go there. It shows you Jesus's intent. It shows you that when Jesus goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he is going to die. He knows the future. That's his goal to lay down his life. Now, it's also to support this interpretation and application of this passage. Did you notice how this passage ends? Did you notice how 
Matthew chapter 21 in verse 11. First of all, the people respond in the city saying, who is this coming into Jerusalem with all this commotion going on? And the multitude said this, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Jesus knows that prophets die inside of Jerusalem. The crowd validates and says, this is the prophet from Nazareth. And here it's coming together, getting ready for his death. This also just exposes to you how wicked and how evil Jerusalem itself is at this time period, but also continuing through the time period of the apostles, how it will go from bad to worse. What I want to do right now is explain to you and do some comparisons with the book of Revelation because it helps explain some points about the Gospels. In the book of Revelation, which is the majority of Revelation is about the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming right after the apostles' time period. And there are three civilizations mentioned in the book of Revelation that is used to compare and illustrate how wicked Jerusalem, old Jerusalem was. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 8, it says that where our Lord was crucified, that is, the city of Jerusalem, it's a type of Sodom. It was a type of Egypt. That's the two civilizations. First of all, it's Sodom. Secondly, there's Egypt. And then the city of Jerusalem was so bad that in Revelation chapter 17, it's not only a type of Sodom, a type of Egypt, it's also a type of Babylon. These three civilizations, Sodom, Egypt, Babylon, are descriptive of the type of city Jerusalem was during a time period of Jesus and the apostles. What was Sodom like? Sodom was filled with sexual immorality, debauchery. Sodom was a place where they oppressed the poor, they were wicked, and God totally destroyed that city off the face of the earth. Egypt, under the time of Pharaoh and Moses, was oppressive, They held God's people in slavery and God totally destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. Babylon was a civilization that held God's people in captivity for 70 years. It went went really bad after the time period of Daniel or toward Daniel's latter days with the reign of Belshazzar and God brought in Cyrus and completely destroyed Babylon. This biblical history in the Old Testament of Sodom, Egypt, and Babylon is how the Bible is using these ancient civilizations to describe the intensity of evil, persecution, and tyranny inside the city of of Jerusalem during Jesus' time period. It shows you how bad things can get in a city like this, and it shows you what God does to these types of cities and civilizations. Also, it helps you realize that Jesus knew what he was getting into. He was going into the hornet's nest. This is not a peaceful city. This is a very hateful civilization 
that wants to kill Jesus Christ, that wants to kill Christians. And this is where what this context in which Jesus is going into the city on Palm Sunday. He's going to where the prophets die. But Palm Sunday is teaching us something slightly different. Palm Sunday is teaching us this, that it's not time for God to destroy this city yet. There's a delay of judgment that's going to happen to this Sodom, to this Babylon, to this Egypt. There's a delay of judgment. And it's symbolized here at the first city that's mentioned, or a city that's mentioned here in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Matthew 21, verse 1. It says, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. This is the village. Bethphage is the village where Jesus is going to get that donkey to ride into the city of Jerusalem. And here's the deep meaning of this passage. The name Bethphage means this. The house of an unripe fig. Or plural, the house of unripe figs. It's a fig that's young. It's not ripe enough to pick. That's the meaning of Bethphage. What this means, and I'll explain to you the details of this. What this means is that Jerusalem at this point is not ready for God's full judgment. It's a time for peace. It's a time to offer peace. It's a time to be forgiven. Jesus Christ is going to be going to use a peaceful animal from Bethphage, from the village of unripe figs and Ride that peaceful animal into the city of Jerusalem. Let me explain where I'm getting some of this symbolism and meaning from. The very next day, Jesus Christ will see a fig tree that bears no fruit. And Jesus will curse the fig tree for bearing no fruit. But again, there's a delay to Jesus' curse. There's a delay to the judgment that's going to happen against the city of Jerusalem. Why? Why is this judgment delayed? The answer comes from Palm Sunday. And you find this on Luke chapter 19, verse 40. Don't turn there, but just listen. The Pharisees are hearing people praise Jesus as He's coming into the city. And in Luke 19, verse 40, Uh, Jesus responds to the Pharisees because the Pharisees are mad at Jesus. The Pharisees say, you should tell the people to be quiet. They should not be praising you. And Jesus says, I tell you that if these people keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out for vengeance. What that means is, is they would cry out for the wrath of God. The stones would cry out for the wrath of God and God would destroy the city immediately. But the stones do not cry out for the wrath of God at that time because people are praising the Lord Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday. Many decades later, four decades later, the people 
of Jerusalem would not be praising Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation gives graphic imagery of the destruction of Jerusalem at that time in history. And it uses figs as one of the symbols. Revelation chapter 6 verse 13 says this. The stars of the heaven fell to the land as a fig tree. It, it drops its late figs whenever it is shaken by the wind. The symbolism there is the stars of heaven are the symbol of Jerusalem's rulers. God put rulers in the sky. He put rulers on the earth. And when the stars of the heavens fall in the Bible, it's a symbol of God casting down the rulers that he put on earth. And these rulers, their time is ripe. They're late figs. They're just kind of hanging there. They're so juicy. (laughs) They're probably past their ripe stage. They're real late. And the wind comes and shakes the tree. And these figs just start coming down. They're late figs. Meaning it's time. It's ripe. Now it's time for judgment. These are not the figs of Bethphage from Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday... You can say the meaning or symbolist. Jesus gets this animal from Bethphage. He gets this animal from an unripe fig. And then in the book of Revelation, 40 years later, Jerusalem is not like Bethphage. It's like Babylon. It's a late fig now. It deserves total destruction. So in the Bible, you have movement. In the Gospels, You can say Jerusalem is like Bethphage. In Revelation, it's like Babylon. It's a full Sodom. It's a a full Egypt. Now it is totally ripe for judgment 40 years later. But Jesus' time period, it is time for peace. It is time for forgiveness. And that's why Jesus' blood will be shed in Jerusalem... And Jesus' blood does not call down the wrath of God upon the city of Jerusalem. Because Jesus' blood suffers the wrath of God as a substitute. And offers forgiveness to Jerusalem. And offers salvation to Jerusalem. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. Think of this. The shedding of Jesus' blood... On Good Friday, as pure and as holy and righteous as Jesus' blood was, that is not bringing the judgment of God upon this wicked city of Sodom, so to speak, or Egypt and Babylon. God is even turning the other cheek, overlooking that, offering this horrible city salvation in the book of Acts. And 3,000 in the the book of Acts come for forgiveness. So why is it that 40 years later, God's wrath does come upon this city? Why is it that there's a time coming 40 years after the crucifixion that it's a late fig time where now the wrath of God pours out? The answer to this question comes from another fruit imagery in the book of Revelation. It's not a fig fruit. It's a grape. 
In the book of Revelation chapter 14, don't turn there right now, just listen to me and I'll explain it to you. In the book of Revelation chapter 14, there's a a vision, a symbolic vision of looking down from heaven upon these grapes that are ready for harvest. It's a good fruit. Time to take these grapes up into heaven. And an angel from heaven with a sickle comes and gathers these grapes to bring them up as a harvest into heaven. But as those grapes are harvested, which are symbols of God's people, righteous fruits, as those grapes are harvested, the the blood of those grapes fill the land, fill the city of Jerusalem. As a result, it's called the grapes of wrath because that blood, the blood of the grapes, will call down the wrath of God and finally destroy. God will destroy the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. The reason why that is important to understand is that what you see is what brought down God's judgment was not the shedding of Jesus' blood, but the shedding of Jesus' people, the bloodshed of Jesus' people. That's what God saw, and that's what God answered. It reminds you of Genesis chapter 4, whenever Cain killed his brother Abel. God came to Cain and said, Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And that's what happens when righteous blood is shed. That righteous blood is crying out to God. For vengeance, And that's what you see as a pattern here in the Bible. Jesus' blood cries out for forgiveness. Jesus' blood cries out for atonement and salvation. The blood of the martyrs cries out for God's vengeance. And that's what the paradigm we have here in the Bible going from the Gospels to the book of Revelation. You can see that all the blood of the martyrs is precious in the sight of the Lord. And this includes all the martyrs who died this week in Nashville. And you can also understand it this way with a Christian paradigm and a Christian lens of what I'm giving you. Is that whenever, even whenever the murderer is shot and put to death, right then, immediately, that is the beginning of the wrath of God being poured out upon that evil one. Right there. What you have is a pattern in the Bible of forgiveness and justice in the Bible. You can take that big pattern, that big matrix, and apply it to different episodes in life where there's times for forgiveness and there's times for justice. There's times where the the fig tree is not so ripe with the figs, but then there's times where that the fig tree is just falling down with the figs. It's time for justice. That can happen to a nation. There's times where God is very gracious and there's times where God is very severe. The reason why I'm giving you this on today is that you can hope and pray that America would never become like the old Jerusalem was. Hope and pray that America would never become like a, an ultimate Sodom or Egypt, or Babylon that needs to be totally destroyed. But if it ever got to that point, the biblical pattern would be this. It would be after the persecution and martyrdom of Christians. That's what God seems to do in the Bible as a pattern. He waits to see if this 
how things will go. Harvest the grapes. Harvest God's people at the time. And if He promotes up into the heaven, their bloods fall down to the ground, then He will vindicate their blood. He is a God of grace, mercy, and also of justice and of vengeance. One reason why I'm saying all this and applying it to you is that you need to realize the times in which we live. The times in which we live is that there's a lot of social pressures in our country to go against the Christian faith, the Christian position of creation and God's created order. And there's many people in our country that do not mind the murder of Christians because Christians really are in their way. And in fact, you see this in the news media and certain outlets and even from the the offices of the president of the United States, that the very one who murdered the people in Nashville is considered one of the victims or a victimized community. You see, that's how things are shaping in America in different ways, in different places. And I will say this, it depends on where you go in America and where you live, uh, the varying degrees in which America could be a Sodom or it could be an Egypt or it could be a Babylon. We live in a relatively, I think, a safe community uh, concerning the Christian faith. Not, not many people, I think, are out to get us, but there's other places of the country that are very, very hostile against the Christian faith. Uh, In public schools, they really try to stamp out God and the Christian faith in certain places and ways. They're very overt and trying to keep Christians completely from being silent. In that, um, with all this being said, what is the answer? What is the solution? What can we do? What can we do as Christians to hold back the wrath of God? to hold back God's judgment, to hold back persecution? The answer comes from Palm Sunday. What did they do on Palm Sunday? When Jesus came in, they praised the Lord Jesus. They acknowledged His sovereignty, His kingship, even over the city of Jerusalem. This is the Son of David. This is the man who is in charge of it all. This is the man we sing Hosanna to. This is the king coming to his city. Whenever Christians praise the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like we're holding back God's judgment from a country. We're holding back God's judgment from a city that deserves destruction. These people are praising Jesus, and that praise of Jesus Christ is like holding back the judgment due upon this city. This is why I pray every Sunday for spiritual revival and reformation throughout our land. Because the more Christians we have in this, in this country, the more uh, Christians that come into the church and are faithful to the Lord, the more God sees it and realizes that America is worth saving in a sense because there's Christians here. There are people spreading the faith. Our hope is to continue to grow the church, to convert people out of their insanity, out of their sin, and offer forgiveness. We can hope and pray that we live in a type of Bethphage where the fig is, is not ripe, where it's not ripe for total destruction, but the offer of mercy and grace and salvation is still to be had, just like it was in the book of Acts. 
so that the Holy Spirit can spread through every, to every person, to every walk of life, to every ethnic group, and bring them all into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for our time together. We give you thanks for the full revelation of Scripture. We give you thanks, Lord, that you reveal the grace and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And you also reveal, Lord, your, your overseeing justice and righteousness, even coming from heaven in the book of Revelation, so that we have the totality of Christ revealed in the Scripture. We pray, Lord, as we understand the Bible more and more, that you'll give us the wisdom to apply Scripture in our time, in our place, so that we will live with wisdom, with dignity and integrity. We pray, Lord, that you will increase peace in our nation and grant repentance, that you remove the anger and the hatred that is filling our country. And we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you will bring more people out of the sickness of their sin into saving faith with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.